Hello, you lovely lot. I wanted to take a moment to share an exciting announcement with you all. I will be doing a live show for Happy Mum, Happy Baby at the podcast show in London on the 22nd of May. This will be a live episode of this very podcast featuring me and a very special soon-to-be-announced guest. Get ready for a candid conversation, unfiltered truths, laughs, invaluable non-judgmental advice and lived experiences. Dive into the complexities of parenting while juggling work, relationships and personal growth and we'll be talking beyond the baby years. As well as the live episode, the show will also include a Q&A with both me and my guest. Tickets go on sale this Friday the 26th of April at 10am, but anyone who is part of the Happy Mum, Happy Baby newsletter will be getting early access to tickets on Wednesday the 24th of April at 10am. To sign up to the newsletter and for more information about the event, please head to happymumhappybaby.com forward slash events. I can't wait to see you there. Welcome to a very special episode of Happy Mum, Happy Baby, the podcast. Now, a previous guest, Her Royal Highness the Princess of Wales, has just launched her new campaign, the Shaping Us campaign, designed to highlight the fundamental importance of early childhood, from pregnancy to age five, in shaping the adults that we become. And I'm proud to be supporting this campaign. We heard her talk about her passion for early years back in 2020 at the very start uh, and to now see what it's become is truly magical. I have a very special guest today, Dr Goody Singh, a paediatrician who knows a lot about our brains and about our early development. Hi, doctor. Hi. Oh my gosh, hello. It's so nice to be here with you. Thank you very much. Thank you. Before we get talking about early years and about how special our brains are at that point, the Princess of Wales gave a speech this week and we're very lucky because we've got a little clip of it right now to listen to. Shaping Us is a long-term campaign and we're starting by highlighting how we develop during early childhood and why these years matter so much in terms of shaping who we become. As the campaign progresses, we'll explore in more depth the importance of a child's social and emotional world, the significance of relationships, and the impact of the surroundings and experiences a child is exposed to during these formative years. Together, these play a key role in shaping our future lives, yet they rarely get as much focus as our physical health and cognitive development. Fantastic to hear from the Princess of Wales there. We actually talked about this campaign many moons ago when she was on the podcast. So it's fantastic to see what she's doing with it now. But Dr Singh, can you tell me why is this topic so important? Uh, well, I could just say it's my job and it has to be important. <laughs> I, I hope you're passionate about it because if not, you chose the wrong profession. I know, you've got the wrong person, I'm sorry. No. <laughs> okay, jokes aside, obviously I'm a massive advocate for this stuff and for the early years. And I have to say that I don't think that we talk about children and families enough in this country. Do you think it's because years, generations ago, it used to be very much a thing of the children are seen but not heard? Like they weren't allowed to really be anything other than there. 
Totally. And I think it's a cultural thing, right? You can mm. see it in different countries where actually it's very different. Like a lot of Southern Mediterranean countries, for instance, where kids are just basically everywhere. And I mean like... <laughs> <The> total opposite. <laughs> meaning literally like having tapas in the middle of the night, you know, like they are everywhere. And, and other cultures, which are perhaps, you know, a bit more reserved or just have different ideas about what childhood should be. And you're right, this idea that children, I don't know, they need to be quiet and they shouldn't be, as you said they shouldn't be heard. I mean, that's yeah. just one of the saddest things in the world to me because I think kids are fun, yeah. <laughs> which is, uh, I mean, kind of obvious that since this is my job. But the thing that's really interesting about all of this is that obviously as a pediatrician, and I, I happen to specialize in neurodevelopment particularly. So yeah, you're right. Brains is my thing, but the human brain is literally mind blowing. And, you know, the best place to see that in action is in a baby. Really? Like, yeah, it's 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 it doesn't even matter how many times I've seen this. But I don't actually have my own children. But I don't think it matters whether you do have kids or not. We should all be interested in early brain development because actually it gives us the glimpse of the amazing processes that make us who we are. Yeah, and I guess that's a massive theme of the campaign really because it talks about how everyone within the community has a role in shaping who we become. Oh, totally. And again, I think there's this um unspoken thing in our society and our culture which is that it's basically left up to the parents yeah you know whoever they are whether it's mom dad both of them but that's a bit of a lonely place to put parents isn't it mm. if you think about it and and you know you obviously know this yourself yeah and but we hear the the saying it takes a village but then asking for that <laughs> help you know it's not always you can often I think in our culture feel like a failure for mm -hmm. reaching out and asking for support or saying I'm struggling Totally. And, you know, as a pediatrician, I have seen this all the time. And what's really interesting is that when you're in a situation for many reasons where parents don't feel like they can ask people for help, they end up pitching up in A&E and then they ask me for help, you know, and I don't, I told you, I don't have kids. <laughs> so you're asking, you're asking the wrong person, except that they're not, you know, and at least there is something that I can do. And that is sit them down, give them a cup of tea, give them a hug and just tell them it's okay. It is okay to feel like this is all a bit much. Yeah. It's okay that you don't know what you're doing because none of us do. None of us are taught how to be parents. And it's okay if you're tired and you feel like you're at the end of your, you know, your last wits. The good thing about the NHS is that it's, the doors are always open. Yeah. And, you know, as long as I'm around, then there'll always be a cup of tea waiting for you. <laughs> I want to go to whatever hospital you work in. Um, <laughs> so tell me, in simple terms, mm. what happens with brain development in those first five years and why are those first five years so important? Why is the, the focus on that in this campaign? Oh, gosh, where do I even start with this? I mean, you can tell that I love this topic. <laughs> but, you know, babies' brains are literally fizzing with activity. For instance, did you know that by the end of the first year in life, the brain has literally doubled in size, with billions of brain cells being connected in that time? Now, what I always like to do is try and help you to picture all this. If you were to peel away your skull and this is while you're developing, what you would see is nerve cells growing out and connecting and branching through your brain like a tree before your very eyes. And, it, you know, if you see the kind of imaging that we've got now, it is just incredible seeing this happen. And this ability to grow and to change in response to the experiences that we're having, that's something very specific, and it's called neuroplasticity. And the reason I mention that is because that is the foundation of how we build all of our skills as we get older. And we actually have that ability all through our lives, but you never have it in as much abundance as in those 
first few years of life. And that's why there's this emphasis on the early years, because that ability to change and to grow and to lay down all of those foundations for everything that we do, it all happens in those first five years. And that is the time when I get the pleasure of feeling like I can actually impact young people's lives. I mean, one of the reasons why I do pediatrics, other than playing with toys and watching Frozen <laughs> over and over again, is because I get to feel like I can have a massive impact on someone's life because what I do in those early years really can change the tra trajectory of where people can end up. Really? Is that significant? It really is that significant. And what I think you know, is so important about what the Royal Foundation is doing with this campaign and this work is that they have highlighted that actually in our country, we have ignorance around this issue. So few people, even parents, appreciate just how important those first few years are. Mm -hmm. um, you know, that, that thing we talked about, you know, children being seen and not heard. Along with that is this idea that and this is horrible, but almost like children are dumb, almost like, oh, well, you know, well, you know, you can just plonk them here and they can just get on with something. Even tiny babies who, yeah, fair, fair enough, they can't talk to you, but they are incredible sensing machines. They're and like they're little sponges. Up, yes, they're absolutely like sponges and they're picking up everything around them, right? You might not be able to tell, but they are learning every second that they are alive. And so once you start realising that what you're dealing with is a, beautiful, intelligent creature, which is ready to be shaped, suddenly it kind of makes it all very different and a little bit exciting because <laughs> suddenly then as a parent, I mean, you have a lot of power. And of course, at some level that can feel like it's daunting and it's, you know, a lot of responsibility, but it's also a beautiful thing because it means that, you know, you as a human being are able to impart all of the learning, all of the wisdom, even if it's just a little bit, <laughs> to someone else and that's one of the most amazing things we can do as human beings is to engage in that process of passing on what we have in our brains to the next generation. And how do we look at that because I can remember when Buzz my eldest was about eight weeks old and mm. uh, my husband came back he'd read something in the National Geographic actually about I think it's neurological pathways is, how, is the phrase. And he was telling me, you know, every second this is happening and the, in, like the tree. And he was like, so, you know, we really need to think about what we're doing with him. So that night I enrolled us in four separate classes, which was <laughs> great for him. But it actually put loads of pressure on me as a mum because I was like, OK, so on, on Mondays we have to go this and we have to do that, you know, and then kind of juggling that whole thing, which probably it didn't help us in terms of our bond because I was then really worried about what the other mums were seeing when I was sort of struggling and stuff and I am able to work out what my baby needed because I felt like we were in this room to learn, if that makes sense. Oh, that's such an interesting experience. And thank you for sharing that, Giovanna. And I think it's obviously you're not the only one who's been through that. There is a lot of pressure, isn't there, in our society on parents mm. and a lot of shaming and blaming, let's be honest. You can never be a good enough parent. Either you're neglecting them or you're doing too much and you're kind of <laughs> forcing stuff down their throats. And, you know, what's the happy medium? Yeah. Look, I think the reassuring thing is, I always think this when I think about my own parents. I mean, look, it doesn't really matter. You kind of end up all right, don't you? <laughs> <laughs> but I mean, what I mean by that is that actually when you think about the whole immensity of human history and also all the different cultures out there and also all the different kinds of conditions that people live in, humans are incredibly resilient. And the reason that the Royal Foundation campaign about the early years is so important is because, as I said, neuroplasticity means that our brains can always change. There's always the ability 
to change, to grow, to develop. And that means that there's, it's never too late. Mm. We can always try and make sure that the next thing is better, that the next thing will be nourishing. And that's why, you know, even children who have grown up in very difficult circumstances, we shouldn't write them off. Yeah. Not at all. You know, what we can then do if we know what's happening is try and address some of that inequality and try and make up for it in lots of different ways. And there are lots of programs around the country which are doing exactly that. But, you know, for parents out there who may have just resonated with your own story, I think don't sweat it. Yeah. Ultimately, Ultimately, it's the simple, basic things that are more important than necessarily the specifics of the class that you're taking them to mm-hmm. or, or the, the kinds of thing you're doing. I mean, you were doing it with the best intentions. <laughs> Expose him to everything because <laughs> no, the trees are growing. <laughs> I mean, I'm sure there is a massive forest in there now. <laughs> <laughs> but is, the other thing I think is um, I can remember when the princess was on recording the podcast, she said that with all of her research... If she could go back and do it all again, even from pregnancy, she mm. would have changed how she did certain things. And so for lots of people who are now, you know, I've got an eight, a six and a four-year-old. So, you know, if if there are certain things with my eight-year-old, it's not beyond, you know, help now. I, I'm still shaping. It's just that this campaign is focusing on the naught to fives because that is when the brain is creating more of those pathways. Totally, totally. And I think... You know, like I, I, I'm a paediatrician. I also have a bit of a public health background. And in terms of thinking about like, where can you have the biggest bang for your buck? Mm. Start early, always, always start early, right? You know, and there's, there's, it's so much easier to prevent than it is to cure ultimately. And so why not, if you know, if you know what to do, just do it, start doing it as soon as you can. Look, the science tells us that the first few years of life are the most important for all of the things we talked about, yeah. social, emotional, intellectual development. But The other reason why it's really important to try and do this stuff early is because if that stuff isn't in place, if we don't make sure that that early development happens in a healthy way, the implications are actually further down the line. And I know that as a pediatrician because I see the bad consequences of things later. Mm -hmm. And, you know, I don't, again, people don't know this, but early development has implications for things like whether you get heart disease later on or stroke or diabetes or. Yeah, or even things like cancer. That's not a connection we make very often. And of course, people may think about things like, oh, the brain and how intelligent you are, and maybe, you know, that kind of thing. But it has much wider ramifications than that. And I care about this campaign because we need to change the way that we think about this. It's important for all sorts of reasons. And if we neglect the early years, my fear is that we're basically sitting on a ticking time bomb of public health problems that are to come, you know, when these children grow up. And that's terrifying to me. And we talk a lot more now about mental health. How do early years and our relationships within that, how does that have an effect on our mental health later on? Oh, that's a brilliant, brilliant question, Giovanna. Again, something that we don't make the link with. So the early years are important for our mental health because actually we develop these really elementary skills in terms of how to be a human in that time, in that period. And they're really simple things. Like if you just think actually what happens in the first few years of life, what you are doing is you're going from being this creature that was previously obviously within a a whole other being, the mother, and then becoming a whole separate individual. And, you know, the goal of development is to become an individual who is independent and able to live their lives on their own. Mm. But you never live alone, right? We're we're completely social creatures. We live in families and communities. And so therefore, our survival is dependent on relationships. 
and being able to interact with each other properly. And so the things that happen when we are in those first few years of life is understanding things like how to interact with the world, emotional regulation, things like empathy, even simple things like conversation and like turn taking and, you know, knowing when oh, it's somebody else's turn to talk, mm-hmm. <laughs> which I'm probably guilty of right now, <laughs> or, or even things, and this is like, even things like love and understanding what love is. And that thing that people may have heard of called attachment, which is mm-hmm. a very important psychological concept in early development. But these are all the things that are set in place in those first few years. And in a way, I say to parents, what you should think of this as is that you're basically giving your kids the tools that they will need in order to, for them to then go out and do whatever it is that they want to do with those tools later on. Mm. You can't dictate how their lives will end up and you can't dictate what they do with those tools, but you can give them the tools and show them how to use them well. And that's what the early years is all about. Is there also something, do you think, when a child is learning and using those tools at a young age, they're generally with people who really love them and they're generally with their primary caregivers. Is there something to say for that, you know, experiencing things in a controlled environment with people that love you versus in the wide world? As long as you have been growing up in a loving environment and that there is good attachment, That is the basis for you to be a strong, resilient person out there in the world. Even if it's people you don't know, even if it's like a challenging situation, there's something about having a strong attachment bond, which means that you are then the kind of person who's able to go out and explore with confidence. Because ultimately, all of those skills and those tools that I was talking about, the reason that you want to develop them is because Ultimately, you want to be able to leave the safety of your little home nucleus, your little Mm. family, and go out there and be, as I said, your own person, independent. And that often means like literally on your own, right? And so the important thing is that if you have grown up in a loving environment where you know that there's always a safe place to come, then you can be adventurous. Mm. But it's really hard to be adventurous if you don't feel safe in the first place, right? Then your inclination will be to hide and to to maybe react badly if somebody challenges you or if they, you know, if things don't work out your way. And that's where mental health problems can often arise. Mm. Yeah, that's fascinating. Is When it comes to attachment, I feel like in some ways attachment has become a dirty word mm. in, in, in that way of people kind of go, well, they're too attached, too attached. Is there such thing as being too attached in those early years? Well, look, I have a motto, which is that hugs will save the world. <laughs> 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 and... Um, I say that with all seriousness because I genuinely believe that you cannot love too much. Now, that doesn't mean to say that you can, can't spoil someone. You can definitely spoil people mm-hmm. and you can spoil kids for sure, but you can't love too much. So no, <laughs> essentially, <laughs> uh, you, there, you shouldn't be afraid of being attached. Being attached is a really beautiful, wonderful mm-hmm. thing. But what you do need to manage is you should be able to be attached, but also to to let go, both the the parent and the child. So there has to be this ability to kind of, a bit like a magnet, you know, you can come together, but you need to be able to be pulled apart. And that is a healthy relationship. That's Mm. healthy attachment. If it's too strong, such that you can't be pulled apart, then that's not good for either side, is it? Mm. And so that's that's maybe where where we kind of get these associations of like, you know, I guess when I was growing up, it would be things like, yo, you're a mummy's boy or whatever. And that's, I mean, it's just really cruel to say things like that. There can't be anything more beautiful than being a son who wants to hug their mum, right? Yeah. <laughs> like, you know. I've got to say, it's only with my third that um, the old uh, junior to hug works. 
when he's having a moment, when he's ha feeling some big feelings, it's only with him that those words help. And I can remember the first time I tried it, he was upset about something and I said, oh, do you need a hug? And he went, yeah. And he just stopped <laughs> completely what he was doing. Everything just melted away. And I just thought, oh my gosh, why didn't I try that with the others? Why, you know, why, why didn't it work with the others? Because with him, it, it completely just takes him out of that situation and just, yeah, it all kind of dissolves. You know, it, that's such a gorgeous story because I think that's often what we want as adults too, yeah. right? <laughs> when everything's really overwhelming, just someone yeah. hug me. Yeah, and I think what's really lovely about what you've done there, Giovanna, is that you've taught your son that it is okay to say, I am feeling lonely, mm. sad, helpless, and that I just, all I want right now is love. Yeah. Because I think a lot, all maybe all of the problems that we have in the world right now are to do with individual personalities who, for whatever reason, didn't know how to do that. And then, you know, they lash out or they, they you know, they then start behaving in odd ways, which are all to ultimately arise in this issue of just not knowing how to deal with their own emotions at a basic level. Yeah. Whereas your son has been, you know, has been beautifully modeled how like, you know, sometimes things will feel a bit much, but that's okay. Because there is somebody there who loves you and who can like see you through it. And okay, they might be, not be able to take the issue away. Yeah. But at least you're not going through it alone, right? Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. When the Princess of Wales first launched her early years campaigns years ago, when she first started really telling everyone that she was passionate about it, she launched with five big questions. And one thing that stood out in my mind about it, it was that she wasn't saying she just wanted to hear from parents. It was from everyone within the community. So with that, how important is everyone else? You know, we have that whole thing of it takes a village, but if anyone's listening who has children or doesn't have children, but wants to know what impact they have, you know, how, how can they help shape little minds? Wow, again, such an important question and a massive question. And I think part of it is just, well, awareness for one, and obviously the, this campaign is, is part of that. But what, what do you do with that awareness? You know, now that you know, for instance, that, you know, the early years are important, what can we all be doing? You know, I think about the parents that I see in my practice and, you know, parenting is hard at the best of times, but parenting becomes even more difficult at the time that we're living in right now. So we're in the middle of a cost of living crisis. Mm. Inequalities are sadly just widening as opposed to getting narrower. And people are really struggling for basic things like food and housing and energy, all of the things that we want to be able to give our children, yeah. right? And so, you know, again, I, I, when I put myself in my patient's shoes, I just cannot imagine how desperate some of them are. So one thing we can do as a society is just have some compassion about that, that kind of desperation. Mm. But also maybe we could be thinking again as a society, how do we avoid this kind of situation in the first place? How did we come to a point where parents feel that desperate? No one should, right? Mm. And if we were treating it more like a village... Maybe we would be helping each other a bit more. Maybe we would be reaching out and connecting a bit more. I think um, one of the, uh, you mentioned the, the big five questions in that survey. One of the things that really struck me, and I, and I don't think I really appreciated until they did the survey, was just how much um, judgment parents mm. feel, you know, how much shame there is amongst all of this. And I think what we can be doing as a society together, again, is just stop being so judgy, like, who are we to say 
and comment on how anyone is parenting anybody, you know, it's difficult. Every family is different and they all have their own circumstances to deal with. Yeah. So I think quite apart from anything else in terms of like, how can we make society better? Let's just be better human beings to each other. Mm -hmm. And let's just be supportive and just think, look, how can I help that family who might be having a bit of trouble right now, who, you know, whose parents are just at their wits end? What can I do to help? But one of the things that I have been thinking about is like, you know, we should be thinking, whatever our job is, whatever our place of uh, influence might be, there might be a way for you to make things better for parents or make things better for kids so I've often fantasized about taking over a little town or a little like shopping center and just thinking actually if we made this all about the kids what would it look like and I don't know who's listening here but if you are the person who owns a business or you happen to have that kind of power you might want to think actually do I provide the people who work for me with enough time off or a place to do breastfeeding if they want to do that or a place for them to bring their kids because, you know, they actually can't leave them with the childminder or whatever, like, you know, today. Are there ways for us to all do make small changes in whatever place that we are to just make it a bit easier to have a kid, quite frankly? You know, having a kid shouldn't be a burden. And is it that simple thing of putting those things in place to help the caregivers, whether that's a mum, a dad or a carer, it eases things for them, which ultimately has an impact on their mental health and the way and has an impact on how they then parent. Oh, uh, totally, totally, totally. And that is one of the important things that this campaign links, right? It's not just about the babies. It's not just about their brains. It's about the parents too, right? Mm -hmm. And being a parent, like I've said, is one of the hardest jobs that anyone can do. Yeah. It's one of the most important jobs that anyone can do. And therefore we need to support parents because even if you don't have a child or have no intention of having a child, what you do want is to have a healthy, effective, productive workforce. Mm -hmm. And even if you put it down to cynical terms like that, what we then need to do is make sure that every child in this country has the opportunity to grow up healthily and happily. And that's why it matters, right? That's mm -hmm. why this is so important. And therefore, it's why all of us can be thinking about, actually, what's that little extra thing I can do that will make all the difference? Mm -hmm. With the campaign launching, the Royal Foundation have also launched the Shaping Us film, which we've both seen. Yeah. It is absolutely magical. And I urge listeners to go and, and Google that, Shaping Us campaign, Shaping Us film, because it, it really does give a visual of, of what we're talking about. Obviously, brain development within the 0 to 5 period is really, really important. But what skills are we picking up in that time? And how can we help children develop them? You know, the beautiful thing about that Shaping Us film is that it kind of conveys the joy that parents get when they see their child go through those di different <laughs> developmental stages, right? And, it, yeah. and, you know, obviously as a parent, what we are aiming for is a child who eventually doesn't need us, yeah. <laughs> ironically. So the skills that we are putting in place in those early years are to do with being able to basically interact in the world. So social skills, so being able to smile at the right time, to be able to look people in the eye, to be able to have a conversation and to know when to take turns. The skills are also about 
being a little scientist and learning, you know, the basic physics of how things work, like gravity or that things will, you know, if you can't see something, they still might exist, (laughs) that kind of thing. But the other important skills are the emotional regulation, right? And so understanding that, you know, not everything will work out for you, but that's okay. And that we can learn how to soothe ourselves or distract ourselves or to do something else. You know, all this kind of self-care skills that I only learned very late in life. <laughs> <laughs> um, but those, those are the kinds of skills that are the most important to learn. And also what we do in that time is we also model to our babies and our kids how to be good human beings to each other. So how to be kind, how to love, how to share, how to care for other people. It's, it's amazing how much children pick up from what's around them. So it's that's so it's not necessarily about setting up a classroom in in the house and kind of going okay, today we're going to learn about sharing. It's more about modeling uh, but also seeing what comes up in certain situations and talking about it as it happens. Is that the best way of um, looking at it? Yeah, yeah. I mean, I think that second approach is much more First of all, much more realistic, let's be honest. <laughs> Everyone with I their think... two-year-olds right now are going, okay, <laughs> so. <laughs> I mean, look, the, the thing is that, like, along with the, the whole judgment thing, there's, like, you know, people get judged because they think they're not parenting enough. But like I said before, there's this idea that you might be doing too much. And if the expectation is that you had to set up a classroom for your own kid, <laughs> you would never be able to do your own thing or no. to get, you know, get to work or whatever. The good thing is that humans are very quick learners and we we do like to observe what others do. And that's almost enough for us to, to kind of figure it out. What I think is important to understand about the way that the brain works is that this whole thing about neuroplasticity and uh, neural pathways that you mentioned as well, those pathways are formed with frequent and repeated practice. Mm. So, you know, you're babies and your kids you'll notice that they'll often do things over and over again and that's important because not only are they getting better at whatever they're doing they're laying down strong connections in their brain which if they just did it the one time it would not last and it'll be almost like they would forget what they had just done but by doing it again and again you build up these strong connections which last over time and that's how you then can move on to the next developmental stage Mm. The good thing about modeling, of course, is that you're doing things unconsciously all the time in the house, right? I mean, you might be saying, hello, thank you, please. Well, hopefully. <laughs> um, or or you're, you're, you know, you're just simple things like you might be demonstrating like caring for another child or something like that. All of that stuff is stuff that's being picked up. And the other thing that actually babies, even at a very, very early age do, is that they watch conversations. Mm. And if you watch very carefully, they'll be looking from face to face as a conversation is happening, even though they presumably can't understand the words, but they're understanding that it's a to and a fro, a bit like a tennis match. And they're watching the ball being battered from one side to the other. And all you have to do as a parent is just make sure that there are a range of different things that they're looking at and seeing. It doesn't have to be a huge range, but just mm. like a, a few things. And just make sure that everything that you do with your children is just done with love and care and done intentionally. But even the stuff you're not doing intentionally, they are picking up on, so be careful. <laughs> yeah, and it, so it's not necessarily even what you're doing intentionally with your child, but around them. You know, you might be thinking that you're having an adult conversation with someone else and that your child, because they're not involved in it, they're not absorbing it. But actually, if they're there, the chances are that they are on some level taking it in. 
Yeah, and that's and that's a good thing. Like that shouldn't be um, a signal to stop talking to your adult friends. Yeah, carry on, carry on, and show them what adult conversation looks like, and also what you are like in your like adult form, right? You yeah. know, we, you know, they should see mummy and daddy for the brilliant people that they actually are, and not just the the kind of baby voice that they normally hear, right? They've got to model themselves on you, right? Yeah, absolutely. What advice would you give for parents who want to know how to support their children's development or who need support at that early age? You know, where, if people are listening, going, well, how do I do that? What do I do? Where's best to start? It's a really great question because we have a brilliant national health service, but services are quite fragmented yeah. and not every area has all of the same services available. And so actually it's very difficult to give you generic advice on what anyone should be doing. But always remember that you are not alone. So the, the important thing is that, you know, you, there is always somebody to talk to. GPs are having a very hard time at the moment, and it may be difficult to get in touch with them. In the early stages of having a child, obviously, there's the health visitor, there's the uh, community midwife. But there's always mental health professionals who can, who can help if you're feeling particularly overwhelmed. Mm -hmm. But for all those people who are in the gray area, the in-between, where it's just kind of like things are just a bit tricky. Yeah. <laughs> There are lots of great resources out there. There's actually a fantastic book called There's No Such Thing as Naughty by Kate Silverton. Mm -hmm. I, don't, I don't know if you've read it. Uh, no, weirdly, I literally just do, I, I ordered it last night. <laughs> yeah. um, it, it is actually great. It is really, really, really good. And it's based on lots of really great psychology, science and evidence. But it is about the practicalities of actually raising a child. And so, you know, she uses like examples from her own uh, experiences, which really make a human and actually put you in the position of, you know, whatever situation of the, the child. And the point being that there's no right way to parent, but there are some set principles that would are helpful in all situations. So that's a good book to, to turn to. There's also some really great websites out there, which I tell you know the parents that I meet to, to go to. There's one called familylives.org.uk, which is really good for parents who are struggling with their mental health or mm -hmm. who are feeling like things are a bit much and they don't know where to turn. So that's a really good resource. There's also, and I think this is fantastic because, you know, we talk to mums a lot, but what about the dads? Yeah. There's a website called dadmatters.org.uk, which is all about what men in this situation can do and how they can be thinking about their roles. Often, I think dads can feel left out of it all, but mm. there's definitely no need to feel like that at all. And things are changing. And I think this website is really good for any men who might be struggling. And there's also a website on the BBC called the Tiny Happy People website, which is full of really good resources for just things that you can do for development. Actually, I've helped uh, develop some of the videos on there in terms of like uh, speech skills and like playing with your baby. And there are some really simple things that you can do there. But again, there's a really excellent resource for parent well-being. And just again, thinking about yourself. I guess what I'm trying to stress here is that it's not always just about what you should be doing for your baby, but also what you can be doing for yourself. Yeah. And always have both of those things in mind. Because as I always say to people, I cannot make your child well if you are not well too. So make sure you take care of yourself and then everything else will come with it. Parenting is just such a massive thing. And when you think of it in that way, it's it's bizarre that there isn't more in place when you are expecting. Do you know what I mean? Because we all do the NCT classes or the equivalent, but actually there's so much focus on the birth but nothing really beyond that. And I think usually it's when we get ourselves into a little bit of a situation that we turn to books, we turn to websites, which is amazing that they're there. But perhaps there should be something in place before that, which is what hopefully the Shaping Us campaign will help with. 
Oh God, I really, I really hope so. Because you're right, there's a massive gap in exactly that place. And my brother recently had a baby and um, we were talking about exactly this gap, right? Which is that, you know, the NHS and God bless them, the maternity services are really, really interested in you having a healthy baby and a healthy Mm -hmm. delivery. And then everyone disappears <laughs> and yeah. then it's picked up again oh yeah you know you didn't do that right actually what you should have done well why didn't one tell me that I should have done that totally totally so you're kind of like left in the lurch then and you know like honestly nobody teaches you how to be a parent so where are we supposed to learn all of these skills from well and but that's the other thing isn't it it's because each child is different so there's never a one-size-fits-all so then you get a lot of people being you know, quite not aggressive, but there's always conflicting conversations going on about what you should be doing. And ultimately, I do think that that sometimes makes us switch off from our children and not listen to their needs because we're thinking about Joe Bloggs or Joe down the road who are telling us their perfect way of doing things. Oh, yeah. I mean, got no time for that. (laughs) There is no one size fits all parenting like template out there. And neither should there be, right? Mm. If we all want, you know, if we all want to be individuals and we want to celebrate that individuality, then why would we want everyone to be parented the same? Like that would just be boring. (laughs) (laughs) So yeah, no, no, absolutely. Like you should celebrate the differences that you have. Again, there are some basic principles, Mm. mainly just loving your child. But beyond that, there are all sorts of creative things that you can do. And actually, I think that's what makes parenting, again, it's such a beautiful creative process. Like the thing about the Shaping Us video, what I loved about it, and you can tell me whether you loved it too, was that it it, it kind of had this whole idea that like these babies were being made of clay or like yeah. plasticine almost. The molding, and the shaping. Yes, yes, exactly. The molding and the shaping. And I think that is, you know, that is a beautiful thing that parents can feel like they're doing, that they're, mm. they're molding, they're shaping. They can't control entirely what happens at the end, but they can kind of guide in the right direction, right? They can kind of just put a bit of of their own themselves in there. Matt Willis was on the podcast a few weeks ago, actually, and he used a word that I've never heard with parenting before, and that's service. You know, it's a service that you're providing in a way, you know, Mm. uh, and actually what a, a privilege it is to be able to provide that service. I love that word in relation mm. to children, childhood. And actually, that might be the key word for what we should be doing in terms of thinking about the early years, actually. Mm. If we all thought of ourselves in service of this really important period, because what we're trying to do is create a happy, healthy generation of human beings. And I think it would change the way that we thought about everything and what our role in all of this was. This idea that yeah, you're in service of producing the next generation. Mm. Oh, it's lovely. It's lovely because it's also then not about you, right? Yeah. It's about this other other human. Yeah. What do you think is the biggest takeaway from the Shaping Us campaign? I think the biggest takeaway is that there is this magical period in the first five years of life when we are ultimately our most malleable and we can literally become anything in that time, in that period. And the beautiful thing is that it's a time when we can intervene and put in the right building blocks in place to make sure that humans can be flourishing. And the the takeaway is that no matter who you are, you can help children everywhere to benefit from that period if we're just more aware of it. So I think the takeaway is that there is this period of amazingness in all of us as human beings. But the takeaway is also that we need to do more with it because at the moment, I think that potential is being wasted. It's really exciting that so much focus is being put on it now with this campaign. 
Oh gosh. And it is definitely well overdue. Yes, absolutely. Like the joy of being able to be part of something like this is I get to talk to people like you, but I also get to talk to policymakers or academics, Mm -hmm. scientists, or people who are running local borough councils, that kind of thing, because all of us have a role to play. Yeah. Um, and we all have to just start stepping up ultimately and be in service of the next generation. Amazing. Um, I end each podcast with you completing three sentences. So the first one is being a parent means. Oh, wow. <laughs> oh, being a parent means having the enviable potential to create the most beautiful thing you can ever create, which is your child. <laughs> uh, the next one if, is, uh, if I could tell you one thing, it would be? Oh, if I could tell you one thing, it would be, it's not your fault. I love that. <laughs> and I'm happy when? Mm. Oh, you know, I'm happy when there are giggles. And by that, I mean particularly children's giggles there's nothing more uplifting especially on a night shift than (laughs) when when children are laughing I I think it's like something we should all record and send to everybody in the country because I think that would be the cure to all sorts of mental health issues because there's something just so joyful about children laughing that's good to know as well because I've I've been I've been at A and E a couple of times. Well, no, one <laughs> time in particular though, when uh, we thought something was up, and by the time we got to be seen, one of our children was just bouncing on the bed giggling. So it's a good thing that nothing was wrong. Oh, do you know what? That is, that is how I know when a child is fine. <laughs> that's, that's what all those years at medical school taught me. <laughs> Dr. Goody Singh, thank you so much. It's been a joy to talk about something that I really believe is going to have a massive impact in the UK. Oh, thank you for having me. And total pleasure to talk to you. Thank you. Uh, 